0: turn in our Bibles to the book of Daniel. I want us to take a look at Daniel as we go through Christ of the book. And here we are going to be taking a look at Daniel. Judah was heading into captivity, or Judah was actually in captivity. By the time Daniel is written, Daniel is in captivity. Judah has been taken into Babylonian captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, and we have to remember that what Judah has become is just like Israel, the northern kingdom had become, was a kingdom of idolaters. They were worshiping every god that came down the pike uh, from Baal to Moloch and doing things that were were horrible, doing things that were so sinful, and Judah had fallen into that trap of worshiping all of those false gods, that they were indeed a nation of idolaters. Uh, Ezekiel 36 verse 23 God's word tells us that God was going to sanctify his name which had been profaned among the Gentiles because of Israel that Judah and Israel had done so much damage to the name of God here was the nation that was supposed to be God's nation of priests they were to be his holy nation they were to be the ones that pointed the rest of the world to the true and living God they were the ones that were to be a light to the Gentiles yet Judah had gotten to the point where God's name was profaned among the Gentiles Things didn't change much because Romans 2.24, Paul makes the same accusation. That everywhere they went, God's name is profaned among the Gentiles. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. So that was was the status of Judah. It, It seemed as if every place they went, the name of God was blasphemed among them rather than being that nation of priests, rather than being that, that light, they were anything but that. Well, now they had the opportunity outside the land to be a witness for God. And in the book of Daniel, we have many of the Jews that were taken into captivity, that witness. As a matter of fact, what we're going to see is that in spite of the condition and and the way that Judah lived and carried on in the land, the land that was flowing with milk and honey, the land that God had given to them, the land that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, regardless of how they lived in the land, outside the land, God was going to show himself strong among those kings, and he was going to use God's people to do it, which I think is, is so interesting. Remember, they were taken into captivity in three different stages. The the first captivity, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came, and he took uh, certain of the, uh, the, the Jews into captivity. It was some of the younger men. Uh, Daniel was about 16 when he was taken into captivity the first time, and that taking them into captivity was over a 19-year, almost a 20-year span. So Nebuchadnezzar comes and he takes part of of Judah into captivity. That's Daniel. Uh, That's his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know all about them. We're going to look at them in a second. Extremely powerful as Christ shows himself to be his people's protector. And here in Christ of the book we find that that's exactly what God is. Here in Daniel, he is the protector. Now, they go into captivity 800 years after Moses dies. They go into captivity 406 years after David dies. And so their first stage, they go into captivity, then several years later, there's the second uh, wave of taking them into captivity. This, this wave of going into captivity included Ezekiel. Uh, it included Ezra and Nehemiah and Mordecai. We know Mordecai from which book? Esther. Oh, by the way, they took, that's when Esther went into the captivity. So all of these went the second into the second captivity. The third captivity is when Nebuchadnezzar says, that's it, guys. I'm just going to lay you flat. And the temple was destroyed at that time. And that's when the people who were already there came to the realization. Ezekiel made sure they understand there is no going back right away. The temple is destroyed. And we have them weeping and we have them sorrowful when they realize that was the situation. When they go into that, that third wave of captivity, there's no more. And so Judah is in captivity. Seventy years, God's word tells them, you're going to be in captivity. But at the end of 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. I'm I'm going to continue to use you. During that 70 years, we find Christ of the book in Daniel as the great protector. And that's the part that we're going to be concerned with today. Look at Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. This is the first. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, unto his hand. Talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Why would God give Judah over to Nebuchadnezzar and to Babylon? One answer. Sin. Sin. I mean, God has said, if my people which are called by my name... humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. I will heal their land. Didn't happen this time. Matter of fact, remember in our study, we have found prior to this, God had told them, don't pray. Don't ask me. You're going into captivity. You can pray all you want, but it's not going to do you any good. As a matter of fact, God tells Jeremiah to tell them, even if Moses uh, uh, or Samuel himself... If Moses or Samuel came and asked me, you're going into captivity. Because God is going to show himself strong. When you finish with the book of Daniel, and you see what Nebuchadnezzar said, and, what you, and you see what Darius and Cyrus by the end. And Daniel is part of that 70-year captivity. Daniel's there for all of it. Daniel sees all those kings, both Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, and then then Darius and Cyrus, who were the kings of, of Media and Persia. He's there for the whole thing. And in every situation, God shows himself strong on behalf of his people. So the kings, these people, they see what God is doing, and they come to the conclusion, He's the true and mighty God. He is the God of all creation. See, he took them outside the land before that happened. But God says, I'm still going to use you. You're still going to declare who I am. And sure enough, they did that here. Verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Folks you read that and it really ought to cause those, cause those who love God, who love his word, who understand what that's saying to weep, to grieve to understand what all, what that is declaring should bring us to tears the destruction, the robbery. It was the true and living God, the one who spoke, the one who created, who said, let there be life, the one who breathed life into mankind, the man who, who the, the God who, who gave the directions to, to Moses to build the tabernacle and construct the different furniture and all of its types that point to the true and living God. He is He's allowing all of this stuff to be taken and placed into a false God who can't see, who can't hear, who can't talk, to be put in his temple. How sad is that? All because of sin. All because of sin. Verse 3, the king spake unto Ashpaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish. So that was Daniel. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they come into the king's court, and you know the story how the king was wanting to fatten them up. The king was wanting to give them good and tasty morsels of food. And and Daniel said, "I can't. We can't eat that. We can't eat that." And the eunuch that was in charge of them said, "Oh yeah, sure you can." And Daniel said, "We can't eat that." And and Daniel said, "I'll tell you what. You feed us what I tell you to feed us, and you feed the others whatever you want." Because this eunuch said, "Look, if." If, if I renege, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do here and the king is going to see you and you're going to look gaunt, you're not going to be fattened up, you're not going to look the way he expects you to look after eating your own food. Why? It's not going to be you that gets in trouble. It's going to be me. And Daniel says, don't worry about it. You just, let's do a test. And boy, sure enough, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those, they looked wonderful compared to the others after eating the king's fare. And at that point, Daniel got their attention and thought, this guy's pretty pretty shrewd. Pretty shrewd. But not only is God, or not only is the Lord Jesus Christ the great protector here with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, but he's also the great protector with Daniel in the lion's den. True stories, happened, not fairy tales, but it was God's way of showing these kings that he actually, absolutely is the true and living God of heaven. And their attitude is, he is the one that's worthy to be worshiped. The other thing that Christ is, and there are so many things in every, every chapter, every chapter, you can find Christ of the book. You can find the Lord Jesus in every chapter. But he's also, Christ is also the great stone that crushes. The great stone that crushes. What we find in the book of Daniel is it, the, as, the, as the great protector, dealing with the, Israel going into the captivity, but it's also Daniel is the apocalypse of the Old Testament. Daniel tells so much about the future, and future events, and what's going to happen. You have in the book of Daniel, it's all about the God's prophetic plan for the Gentiles, and what's going to happen to those nations. It is in great detail. There's there's no need for us to wonder what's going to happen in the future. Nebuchadnezzar has this vision. And Daniel tells him exactly what this vision is and what this vision means. It tells about the nations that are going to come on the scene. It's going to tell so much about God's plan for the nations. And at the end, it is going to be the great stone that crushes them. It is Christ himself who is that rock that's going to destroy all of those nations that have taken Israel into captivity, all those nations that have dominion over the nation of Israel, all, and it lists those nations. It lists Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're, you're the king, but there's gonna come another king, and that's uh, the Medes and Persians. Sure enough, that happens. There's gonna be another kingdom, at Greece. That's gonna happen. There's going to be another kingdom, Rome. That's going to happen. All of them are going to subdue Israel. All of them are going to keep Israel. It has, the time, it has to do with the time of the Gentiles. It has to do with the time of dominion over Israel. But Daniel holds out that hope. But that's not the end of it. That's not the end of it there's going to be a time when that great stone when God himself is going to establish his kingdom and all of that is pronounced all of that is published here in the book of Daniel and how that how that great stone is going to come out of heaven and it's going to crush those nations whether that nation it the, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon was the golden head and then you had the brass or the silver, then you had the brass, then you had the iron, then you had the feet of miry clay mixed with iron. All of those nations are going to be crushed by that great stone and all of that is brought out in the book of Daniel. It is so detailed, the book of Daniel, that even the time of the Messiah's death It's printed out. It's there for us. You study the book of Daniel, and I I wish we had time to go verse by verse. One of these days we may do that on the book of Daniel. But as you go through the book of Daniel, uh, there are so many things that pertain to future events that's coming. But one of the things, one of the big things that they shouldn't have missed was when the Messiah was literally going to die. Daniel gives a, 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 a timeline from the time of the going forth to rebuild the temple to the time of the Messiah. It gives exactly how many years it's going to be in Daniel. And that, that time to rebuild the temple is when Cyrus told Nehemiah, okay, go back and build the temple. When Ezra and Nehemiah were to build the temple, Nehemiah to build the walls and to rebuild the city and Ezra to be, rebuild the temple, from, from Nehemiah 1, we're, when we go to Nehemiah, we've got to go Nehemiah, chronologically, uh, Nehemiah's next, but from the canon, we've got to go back a few books to Nehemiah. But Nehemiah, that's all part of Daniel saying, when the Messiah is going to come, when he's going to be delivered up, when he's going to die, here's how many years it's going to be. It was all there. So when Christ came, had they not been so hard-hearted, had they not been so blind, they would have said, Wait a minute. Now, let's, let's refigure this now from the time, and we know how this was built and, and when this was built, and they could have figured it out. It was there, so they were without excuse. They were out, they were without excuse. So here we have in the book of Daniel such a time. time. The book of Daniel talks about the tribulation and the beast. In the horror of of his kingdom, in the horror, the terror of of that tribulation period, Daniel actually talks about where the antichrist, the beast, is going to come from. It tells us which country he's coming from, or kind of which one of two countries he's coming from. It's all spelled out there. It's all there. I encourage you to do a study of the book of Daniel. As a matter of fact, one of the things that Daniel, I'm going to say this, and some of you are going to think I'm crazy. Some of you already think that. But now, some of you, some of, when I say this, matter of fact, I don't want to say it. I'm going to read it to you. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Now, this is Nebuchadnezzar. He's had a dream. No one's been able to interpret that dream, and it's really bothering him, really bothering him, and he's called for all the wise men and soothsayers and magicians and all of them. He's called them and said, I need you to, I'm not going to tell you what my dream was. You've got to tell me what it is interpreted, and they go, what? How can we tell you what the dream means if you don't tell us what the dream was? And, they, and Nebuchadnezzar basically says, well, if you can't tell me what it was, how are you going to tell me what it means? But if you can tell me what it was, then I know that what, because you can say anything, well, here's what it means if I tell you what it is. But if you tell me what it is, then you tell me what it means, then I'm going to believe you. None of them could do it, and that really doesn't surprise us, does it? Except for one guy one guy comes along and says, I, I can tell you. God showed it to me what this dream means. And that's the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Um, look at Daniel chapter 2 verse 24. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king, king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon Uh, The reason he said kill him is because they couldn't tell him what the dream meant. He was going to get a new set. And he went and he said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. And then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said unto Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Remember, he changed Daniel's name. That means, may Baal protect you. Kind of shows you where Nebuchadnezzar was. It's not Baal that's going to be doing the protecting. It was the true God of heaven. But they had renamed him. Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? That's kind of a catch. And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded Cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers show unto the king? But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to King Nebuchadnezzar what should be in the latter days. The latter days, and that's key. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. I'm sure that got Nebuchadnezzar's attention. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter, and he that revealeth secrets make known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have, more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou wantest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, saw and behold a great image." And this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible or magnificent. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, and his feet part of iron and part of clay. And thou sawest till that a stone was cut. Without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and broke them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away. These are all the nations that, that are going to occupy, that have dominion over the nation of Israel that God's going to allow to have dominion over Israel, but there's coming a time is the whole point of this when Christ himself is going to come. He's going to destroy these nations. In particular, this, this last nation represents the beast, the Antichrist. And I think part of it has to do with uh, uh, Mohammedism, with Islam, and all of that, that miry clay. But there's, there's another part here that i want to bring to your attention I wasn't going to go into this but i think we need to but here's the these are the nations that are will and have had dominion over the nation of israel i saw this stone that was cut without hand and it smote the image then was the iron the clay the brass the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff the chaff And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. And I'm sure by now he had Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Thou, O king, art the king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air, hath he given unto your hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all, thou art this head of gold. So we have that identified. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. So you have medio persia and you have... Greece, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. This is Rome. All of these kingdoms are going to subdue the nation of Israel. For as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things, and as iron that breaks all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of the potter's clay, and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided but there shall be in it of the strength of iron for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. This is is that fifth kingdom. This is that fifth nation that's going to be subduing Israel for a period of time. Verse 43. This is the one where you guys are going to think I'm crazy. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, and they, talking about these kings, uh, this, these toes, ten toes, we can take you to other scripture in Daniel that talks about these ten kings. Revelation talks about these ten kings, uh, these ten kings that are literally demonic in their description and their power and what they exercise. Then in the last days, this vision that Nebuchadnezzar, this dream he has, this vision that Daniel has given to him, it shows a future kingdom that's going to be ruled by these ten kings kings that are powerful but not that powerful these ten kingdoms they are going to be something to be reckoned with because look at that next part and they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men what is that? these kings are going to mingle themselves with the seed of men. I'm telling you in the last days, we have another scripture where Christ tells them in Matthew 24, as in the days of Noah, so shall the end times be. It's just what they were doing in the days of Noah, they're going to be doing in the last days. What were they doing in the days of Noah? What what happened in the days of Noah when the sons of God came into the daughters of men? I told you you thought you're going to think I'm crazy. I don't think I'm crazy. I think I'm being biblical, being scriptural. In the days of Noah, the sons of God, which are the fallen angels, came into the daughters of men and the offspring were giants. They were demonic. That's the reason God had to destroy the earth. Christ says in Matthew 24 in the last days, just as it were in the days of Noah, when they were marrying and giving in marriage, that's exactly what was going on back then. You had demonic beings. Transhumanism, I think, is kind of a word they use today. And from this scripture, and I don't know how else to deal with it. I, I've looked at so many commentaries. I've looked at so many different preachers and what they're teaching. And all of them either scratch their head or they declare to you what I'm declaring to you right now. That kingdom that's going to come, the last kingdom, and I'm not sure we're not getting closer and closer to that. That those ten kings, that power that's going to exist, that nation that's going to exist, and they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. That could be frightening. but Christ is the great protector. And he is the one that's going to be the great stone that is going to crush completely, totally. But that's not the purpose of this sermon this morning. I wasn't even gonna go there. But it was just, but well, to me, that was just so fascinating. And if I had had another week, we had just, I just kept on studying along those lines. But the whole bottom line is, what part of Daniel has already been fulfilled and if part of it's been fulfilled and it's, it is accurate, why shouldn't we not expect the last part of it to be fulfilled and to be accurate? But the book of Daniel shows the faithfulness of Almighty God. The book of Daniel shows the protective nature of all, Almighty God. It shows his sovereignty. It shows his power over all the dealings of men. Whether it be Gentile kings, he's the one who puts them in power. He's the one that sets them up, and he does it for his glory and for his purpose. And because I belong to him, and he belongs to me, because I am safe in him, my salvation is secure, I don't have to fear what the world brings against us. I can trust him. He is the sovereign God. He is the faithful God. He is the one that's overall. So whether he's dealing with the nation of Israel and bringing them to that point that he brings them to, or dealing with the church, the body of Christ in this day of grace, I can trust our almighty God. We're going to have to revisit Daniel again next Sunday. Because there's still so much here. There is no way to get through. We, we've not even been to the fiery furnace yet. And there are so many lessons to learn. And Daniel still needs to get through in the lion's den. And the whole purpose of today's sermon was to show that it's these, when, when these trouble happens and these difficult times happen, when we stand firm, when they stood in, to please God, that God worked miracles so that even these powerful Gentile kings scratched their heads and went, wow, he is the true God. He is the one that created it all. He is the one in charge. It's not me, it's him. And God used these episodes to bring that about. Remember, Daniel is writing in the land. Look at Psalm 137. We looked at this verse, but I want you to look at, look at Psalm 137 because this is talking about these, this group of people. Psalm 137. It's talking about these exiles. It's talking about these people that Daniel saw on a daily basis Psalm 137:1 one, By the rivers of Babylon there we sat There we sat down yea we wept When we remembered Zion We hanged our hearts upon the willows in the midst thereof For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song And they that wasted us required of us mirth saying Sing us one of the songs of Zion See they were heartbroken about being there They were troubled about being there. But it's outside the land that God is going to show himself so strong on their behalf and that God is going to carry out exactly the plan and purpose that he wanted to do with Israel and Judah in the land to show them who the strong and living God is, who the true God of heaven is. And we're going to find in Daniel he is the great protector. And even in such a hostile captivity, God shows him strong on behalf of his people. What I think is interesting, then we'll be done. What I think is interesting, Judah goes into captivity. And we have all these stories of, of in the fiery furnace, we have these stories in the lion's den, we have those from Judah going into captivity. But the northern kingdom had gone into captivity about 115 years prior to this. And you don't hear a peep. There's not a single story. There's not one sound that comes from any of those kings or any of those folks, the children of God, the nation of Israel, that was gone into Assyrian captivity. Nothing nothing from them the next week we're going to talk about why because I think that's an interesting aspect and between now and then I challenge you to do more research on that those ten toes that, that feet with the ten toes and how they talking about those kings mingle themselves with the seed of men what's going on there what Do we need to have our spiritual antennas, our eyes open to, our ears open to about some of the weird and wacky, crazy and dangerous things that are happening today? Church, I'm telling you, the day of the Lord's not going to take you as a thief in the night. We're supposed to be aware. We're supposed to have God's word, and we do have God's word to direct us and to guide us and to lead us. Now let me say this. Then we are be, we, then we will be gone. Being done. I promise. We may not make it back next Wednesday to next Sunday. We may not make it back next Sunday or next Wednesday. We may be gone. If we are, that's okay. So I encourage you to get right with God right now. Don't wait until next Sunday because you may not have till next Sunday. My invitation, God, more importantly, God's invitation to you is by faith, trust Christ. Because what God's word says is going to happen is going to happen. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. God's word is going to be carried out. One of these days, you will hear the very last sermon you ever hear. One day, you will experience the very last opportunity to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ if you've never done so. And I believe that we are so close to the end. I believe we are so close to the rapture of the church that I would not want to dismiss us without telling you that eternal life is the gift of God offered to all who believe. And it is God's desire to save you if you've never by faith trusted Christ. Let me encourage you to do that before you leave this building. Because between now and next Sunday, we may all be in heaven. You say, Pastor, you're crazy. One of these days that's going to happen. I'm not crazy. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And as we bow before you, we come accepting what your word tells us. Father, I know the world thinks that it's foolishness. But we know from your word that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God into salvation. Father, may we ever be mindful of preaching that glorious truth. Father, may we ever be warning the lost that there's a payday someday, that the rapture of the church is going to take place. One day it is going to be a historical event, not a one that's detailed and prophecy, and future. And Father, we don't want anyone wishing that we had told them and had not. Father, may no one ever accuse us of not declaring the truth of your word and warning. May we be that watchman on the wall that sounds the alarm faithfully, urgently, Father, may we be faithful to your calling. The world may think we're mad, but Father, we thank you that we know that you're the one that does not give the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And Father, may we faithfully pronounce your word, proclaim your word. If there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, Father, I pray the Holy Spirit will just move on their heart, convict them of their sin and of their need of trusting Christ as their Savior. And Father, for those of us who have been redeemed and we know we've been redeemed, Father, may we rejoice that our sin is forgiven, that we stand righteous before you. May we understand our calling and by faith may we serve you. And Father, we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.